This program was produced by the Aotearoa Media Collective for RNZ and TVNZ, made with the support of the Māngai Pāho and the New Zealand On Air Public Interest Journalism Fund. This is a story that begins amidst the razzle dazzle of downtown Auckland City. Look at me, I'm dancing. And stretches all the way to some of Aotearoa's most economically deprived communities. It involves a new trading market and an ambitious plan to help save the planet from climate change using Māori land. We come to you to access your land. Backed by some of Te Ao Māori's most influential leaders. To put together a deal that we think is better than anything being offered anywhere in the country. And at the centre of it all, Javan Golta, a person whose extravagant lifestyle and wheeler-dealer attitude has seen him wind up in the middle of a controversial court case. To put it bluntly, it was to stop a victim from testifying in court. The Māori Carbon Foundation's scheme set out to convince Māori organisations that money really does grow on trees. It sounds almost too good to be true. So who's behind the Māori Carbon Foundation and its associated entities? And what benefits, if any, has it delivered to Māori who have engaged with it? We've decided to investigate. Western Ruahine Ranges, in a place called Mokaipatea, lies 5,000 hectares of Fenua Māori, Aurangi Awarua. Aurangi is our maunga, and it's a flat-top maunga. E roto e te o ngā kōru ka mea, i te wā, i hiake Māori te, te ikanei. When he pulled the, the line toward it cut the top of the mountain, and that's why it's a flat top moana. There's lots and lots of kōrō on that whenua, old kōrō. And for us, a lot of uh, the kōrō too goes to pre-waka. So here we papatupu, that were born out of the land. That's, that's what our kōrō is. Here we papatupu mātou. Here we patupairehe. Here we take take. Hmm. Yeah. Aurangi Awarua is rich in history and biodiversity, but it's completely landlocked, an injustice that's an ongoing source of despair for descendants like Afinatumi. We have vast amounts of whenua, rolling lands, the native grasses, native trees. It's just getting there. You can't get there unless you've got a helicopter. Why is that? Part of the things that's supposed to happen when you partition land is that a leeway is supposed to be allowed to allow them access to your land. Well, you know, those just didn't happen for some reason. And we know that it was a, a, a tool that was used in the day. And if you can landlock Māori land, that quite often Māori would give up their land in the end um, because they can't access it. So this is uh, Winiata Te Whāro and his wife, Peti Mukupuna Hamilton. They, they're looking quite elderly there, so it would have been probably 1860s, maybe, when these are done. 
The story of land alienation here began with Afina's great-great-grandfather Winiata Tefaro. Winiata refused to relinquish his lands in Pukopoko, an act for which he was arrested and evicted alongside his wife and children. He did ask to go and retrieve his dead, like his children that they'd already buried there in some of the other graves of the people of Ngāti Pauwharekura and um, Ngāti Paki, but they, they said no. And um, they burnt his, the houses, the community, the church, the barn with all the wool and everything in it. Took his 11,000 sheep and he never retrieved anything. He wasn't allowed to go back. He was more or less outlawed from his own land. Winiata fought through the courts to hold on to his lands, including Aurangi Awarua. But as time passed, they became landlocked by neighbouring farms, shutting out generations of Afina's whānau from their whenua. I know without a doubt that my grandparents, my grandmothers, never ever went on to their land. It was just February until I actually got, I was able to take my father for a helicopter flight onto his land. Because he said during one of the tribunals, you know, I've never stood on my land. I just thought, well, that, that's tragic. How can you be 79 and never go on your land? I owned so much of it. So I ended up, um, I thought, well, that can be a, a Christmas present, because what else do you buy for 80-year-olds and 81-year-olds? They've got everything, ex um, except for the opportunity to stand on your land. Why does this bring up such strong emotions for you? Oh, because just because it's the first time 81 years old and it's your first time ever being on the land and you've never sold. He's always said to us, you never, ever sell land. Never. And somebody said to him, why didn't you sell it if, if you don't know where it is? And he goes, it's all I've got left to my grandparents and my great-grandparents. When I go there, I know I stood where they stood. That's all I have. That whenua might be all Afina's father has, but as it turns out, it was exactly what the Māori Carbon Foundation was looking for. The Māori Carbon Foundation wanted to get into carbon farming. It's a new industry created by the ETS, or the Emissions Trading Scheme. Basically, carbon farming is planting permanent trees to absorb carbon dioxide. Those forests are then registered and they generate carbon credits or units. And those credits are then on-sold to polluters to offset their greenhouse gas emissions. But carbon farming requires land, and the Māori Carbon Foundation had Whenua Māori in its sights. So just who is the Māori Carbon Foundation? Well, this video, posted on Vimeo in 2018, features a number of its people. They're celebrating the birthday of their mutual friend and the Māori Carbon Foundation's managing director, Javan Golta. So, so There's Horni Harawira, Sir Mark Solomon, Maru Neho Neho, and Donna Awatere Huata among the movers and shakers. Javan, I think, is an interesting person in a nation that values and really appreciates humility. He is almost a refreshing counterpoint to that. He is very self-assured. Um, he is very cocky, very confident. 
Hi Mona Gray is a public relations consultant. He first met Galta in 2011 at Parliament when Galta worked for Hore Harawira's Mana Party. In 2019, Gray researched Galta's career for a profile piece about his relationship with Destiny Church. Does Javan Galta have a background or expertise in carbon farming? Absolutely not. From what I found in research, um, Javan dropped out of high school as a 14 or 15 year old. Um, Javan has spent the remaining decades um, in various politics or loosely described as PR roles. Almost none of these within the environmental or forestry spaces. He very much appears to have latched on to an industry uh, that was a bit unknown during a time um, and has tried to take advantage of that um, without a real strong understanding of what the mahi is, um, the mana behind the mahi, and really how businesses should grow and should develop. Golta, who's often mistaken for being Māori, is no stranger to controversy. In 2019, he proposed the return of the death penalty whilst working as a campaign manager for Hannah Tamaki's Coalition New Zealand Party. That same year, Golta's PR company was put into liquidation over an unpaid debt of $4,500. In 2020, a complaint was laid with police over a Facebook tirade about presenter Kano Lloyd. And earlier this year, it was revealed he had accepted $56,000 from now convicted sex offender James Wallace to encourage one of his victims to withdraw the complaint. To put it bluntly, it was to stop a victim from testifying in court and how I might go about doing that. And um, so, uh, you were considering extorting Mr. Yes. Ultimately, Golter avoided prosecution for his part in Wallace's crimes, instead being offered immunity for his testimony. But Gray says the saga demonstrates how Golter operates. There's a lot of incredibly sad elements of the James Wallace case. Um, the, the crimes are horrible. The fact that so many people stood by and did nothing is unconscionable. So I think, I think Javan is incredibly lucky that he avoided prosecution, but knowing how Javan works um, and knowing that the end client is always himself, I am not surprised that he cut a deal. And back in 2018, the Māori Carbon Foundation was keen to cut more deals. MCF's plan was to access marginal Māori land for planting, using Galta's influential network of associates. The company's office records show that in May 2018, Galta incorporated the Māori Carbon Fund, of which he is the sole shareholder and director. Two months later, on July 11, the Māori Carbon Foundation was incorporated. Its managing director is Javan Golta, and its directors are Hone Harawira, Sir Mark Solomon, and Maru Nehoneho. Its ceased directors are former National Party President Michelle Bogue and former National Cabinet Minister Murray McCulley, who both resigned in 2020. The sole shareholder of all of these entities 
is the Māori Carbon Trustee Limited, which was also incorporated on July 11, 2018. We'll talk more about the Māori Carbon Trustee Limited later. A month after being incorporated, the Māori Carbon Foundation set out on a roadshow around the regions, encouraging Māori landholders to go into partnership. But here is a way that we can get wealth into rural communities. And I, for one, really am looking forward to that. You know, hallelujah, our time has come. The tour was captured in this marketing video and led by Hone Harawira and Sir Mark Solomon. We come to you to access your land. There is no lien or any financial liability on your land. There is no cost to you if you work with us. So we will work with you to design the forest. We will plant the forest and pay for the planting. We will pay for the insurance. We will pay for the management of the forest over 30 years. At the end of 30 years, we do walk off and you are left the sole owner of the forest. In September 2018, the Māori Carbon Foundation was hosted at Parliament by the then Minister for Forestry and Regional Economic Development, Shane Jones. We have the Māori Carbon Foundation, which will take the role of facilitating relationships with our landowners, an important responsibility given the sad history which has affected many Māori land-owning blocks. And the company structure was growing. MCF established the Office of the Māori Climate Commissioner and appointed Donna Awatiri Huata as its lead. It also announced the establishment of the Māori Carbon Social Trust, chaired by a respected rangatira. Our ambitions will challenge the status quo and we intend to address the social needs of the communities in which we operate. Dealing with these costs takes leadership, which is why it will be chaired by the Honourable Dame Tariana Tūni who will oversee the distribution of funds allocated by the Māori Carbon Foundation to economic, environmental, cultural, social, philanthropic, regional and community projects nationwide. The message being delivered by the Māori Carbon Foundation resonated with David Steadman. Steadman is a relation of Afina and was a trustee on the Aurangi Awarua Trust Board. When did you first hear about the Māori Carbon Foundation? I'd heard about carbon and heard about the one billion trees um, at the time um, with Shane Jones and all that type of thing. So started looking into it from there really and and that's when it was sort of first brought to my attention about, you know, carbon and, and the emission of trading scheme. And what was it about that Kaupapa that appealed to you? Well, it was, it was an opportunity to, uh, to become sort of like um, regional leaders for for us as Māori in our in our area of Mokai Party and Tai up here. No one was sort of looking into into um, the emission trading scheme and carbon um, at that time. During 2019, David and representatives of the Aurangi Awarua Trust met with the Māori Carbon Foundation a few times to get a better understanding of what was involved. We were all excited. It was awesome to be going on that pathway of something we hadn't done before. And um, I wouldn't say it was scary, but it was, it was just hard because you know, we'd never been to, to something of this level before. 
Meanwhile, a new Māori carbon entity was incorporated, the Māori Carbon Collective. Its directors are Honi Harawira and Sir Mark Solomon, and its sole shareholder is the Māori Carbon Trustee Limited. Then, in November 2019, the Māori Carbon Collective was invited to attend Aurangi Awarua Trust's AGM to present their carbon proposal. Afina attended alongside her father. Were you excited by the carbon kaupapa? No. I actually hate the whole idea of it, to be honest. Why do you hate it? Because I think that those who are polluting need to face up and do th something about what they're doing and to clean their act up, not rely on people planting trees in another part of the world to buy your way out of the pollution hell that you're creating. So. Um, yeah, so I've never liked the idea, but, you know, you go to these hui and you listen to the kaupapa and, you know, and everyone should talk and if, and if that's the way that the vote went, then I might have only objected largely. <laughs> and who was there from the Māori Carbon Foundation? There was um, Mark Solomon, or Sir Mark Solomon, Hone Harawera and a young fellow, J J Javan? Javan. Yeah, who I didn't know. Like the only, the, the other two I've seen at different co-papa, spoken to briefly, always found them to be very, you know, they they know what they're at, they know what they're on, and uh, staunch for their people and co-papa. And is that how they would have been seen by the other whanau at the hui? I'd say so. Yes, a lot of them knew knew the names or the faces, seen them on TV. Um, and yeah, so you know, they're people with big names, big names. And when you talk about this cope up of the Māori carbon credits, um, there were other big names to go with them. So we'd had a really short um, introduction to the cope up through one of the uh, board members who had given a report. And it, it was only like a bit of a two page report on sort of how they got started um, talking um, and what the kaupapa was, so the carbon credits. So after David Steadman's report, who spoke? Uh, Sir Mark Solomon came forward and he started to talk. And he's a uh, you know, very lovely speaker. And then some of the questions started to come forward. Um, now what I find is, <laughs> when you go to the land trust hui's, if you've ever been to Land Trust Who's, you, it's mainly our komata with you because they're the ones that still feel the most affiliated to the whenua. They feel that land, they may have walked it in their time and all that sort of stuff. What they don't do is they tend not to put their hand up and say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Unless you've got, the, you've got one or two aunties that will and the rest of them won't. And they won't ask questions because they don't want to feel, they don't want to feel st stupid. They don't want people to think that they're silly because they asked a question and they don't know if the question is something they should have known. So I'm that kid that asks the questions all the time. The proposition being put to the hui was that the Māori Carbon Collective would use Aurangi Awarua's lands to plant and manage a forest of exotic trees to generate carbon credits for a term of 30 years. After expenses, the net loss or profits would be shared equally between the two organisations. And they wanted to sign them up ASAP. While the Trust had provided a short paper for shareholders, Afina says MCC 
came empty-handed. So what did you ask? My very first question, which seemed like an obvious one, was, well, where's the prospectus? Where's, where's the pamphlets? Where's some, some information for us? And there wasn't any. There was, they hadn't brought any handouts. You could probably be forgiven for that, but you know, I was like, oh. Um, well then, um, how do we, how do, you know, there's a lot of people, this is their first time knowing about it. You've got to give us time to digest this. And, you know, well, what's your, what's your success rate like? Where have you been? What have you done? They didn't really have any at that time. I don't know how far into the business they were at that time, I'll be honest. But, you know, if you can tell us some stories about where, where you've been and what you've done, and well, we didn't get any. We went, it wasn't that long afterwards that Sir Mark had to leave to go back to catch his plane, and that left Honey and Javan there with us. Then what happened? And so, because I don't get answers to the first lot of questions, then I ask more questions, because, you know, you've come to pitch us a business deal. <laughs> this is business, sort of thing. So I'm asking, well, what about native trees? No, they grow too slowly. I said, well, that's why they're so good, you know. <laughs> and, um, and you said something about native trees, you'll get more per carbon credit than you will for the, for the pine trees. And they're saying, oh, but the pine trees get to fast, faster turnover of money. Afina wasn't convinced, and she was deeply troubled by the idea of contracting her ancestral lands for 30 years. So when you were asking these questions, what was the response? Well, because there's only two left now, the responses became short and started to get curt. And at one time there, I remember, uh, I got the Missy. Well, look, Missy. Who called you Missy? Honey. So, you know, I appreciate Honey in lots of different fields, but I don't appreciate being told on my own marae. Now look here, Missy. Uh, and so that's what really got me. It's like, oh, okay, there's something. So then I, you know, then I ask more questions. <laughs> After telling them, I'm don't you call me Missy. No kitine finua. No kitine no kitine marae. Kwaititi onga onga trati onga shareholders equine. You know, so it's like we have questions, you need to provide us with the answers. You need to provide us with the answers. And if you can't, you know, I said, if you brought us a perspective, just even a one-pager, I wouldn't be asking the questions, you know? We'd have something to read. So how did the hui end? At the end of that kaupapa for us was we gave permission for the trustee to investigate the kaupapa further on our behalf, to investigate it further because there, there was no answers. So we need answers. And so what I expected to happen was that the investigations would, would happen, research would come out to us, and then we would be able to vote on that. That's what I expected to happen. So your expectation was that nothing further would happen until more information had been provided to you, the shareholders of Aurangi Awarua. Yeah, that's my expectation. But that's not what happened. So what I have here in front of you is a carbon rights agreement. High Court records discovered by Mata show that in the months following the Hui, Aurangi Awarua Trust entered into a carbon rights agreement, or CRA, with the Māori Carbon Collective to allow them to plant and manage 2,000 hectares of their whenua. 
But there were a couple of significant obstacles. The first was access to the landlocked whenua. The second, a Department of Conservation Covenant, or kawenata, placed over the land that would prevent the planting of an exotic forest. You know, we we looked at ways of what how how we needed what we needed to do to achieve that. But looking back on it, we should never ever have signed that agreement without having done that first. We should never have done it. Aurangi Awarua Trust already owned 13,500 carbon credits because their existing native forest had been registered under the ETS. And what happened to those credits would destroy the relationship between the Trust and the Māori Carbon Collective. In a statement of claim to the High Court last year, Aurangi Awarua claims that in late 2020, David Steadman unlawfully transferred 13,500 units to the Māori Carbon Collective, and that MCC was a party to this unlawful appropriation. The units were valued at $300,000. We asked David for his side of the story, but it's now subject to a confidential settlement. Can you talk us through the transfer of Aurangi Awarua's carbon units? No, 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 no I'm not going to talk about those, right. unfortunately. Okay. I'm not going to talk about those. What we do know is that Aurangi Awarua began legal proceedings to remove David as a trustee and to cancel its agreement with the Māori Carbon Collective. Court documents show the Māori Carbon Collective denied Aurangi Awarua's claim of unlawful appropriation and lodged a counterclaim for $43 million in future lost profits. It's an extraordinary amount of money for any organisation, let alone a humble Māori land trust. We reached out to the chair of Aurangi Awarua, Louis Winiata, for an interview, but he declined because the trust had reached a confidential out-of-court settlement with the Māori Carbon Collective. That first one that we got out, that was on the Aurangi Awarua block. Oh, and that's this one here. It was really incredible. Because of COVID, Aurangi Awarua Trust hasn't held its biannual AGM since the one Afina attended with her dad in 2019. She and the shareholders of Aurangi Awarua haven't been formally briefed yet about what went down with MCC and the resulting court case. So we're meeting up with her to fill her in on what we've discovered. Last time we met, you shared an expectation with us that uh, there would be no engagement with the Māori Carbon Collective until the hui had had some answers uh, to your questions. Was that correct? Yes. Mm. Yes. And since then, we're meeting again now, months after the first time that we met, we've found out a few things about what has happened, and there was an engagement with the Māori Carbon Collective. We found court documents um, that show that a trustee from Aurangi Awarua transferred all of the carbon units to the Māori Carbon Collective, and that was David Steadman. Yeah, I had heard... Um some whispers in the wind about uh, some engagement had occurred and um, I did know that there had been some discussions. I don't know how heated or anything they had become, but I, I had heard of that, but I didn't realise it was everything. Yeah. 
So on the documents we can see that when that happened, Aurangi Awarua Trust moved to secure the carbon units and the case ended up in the Maryland Court and then into the High Court. And Aurangi Awarua was countersued by the Māori Carbon Collective for the sum of $43 million. <laughs> $43 million? For potential lost profits. Well, that just shows the calibre of the people, I suppose, in that collective, willing to countersue people that they know have nothing. They were not able to make any real money off that land because it's landlocked. Yeah. So without a single tree being planted, um, the, the trust board of Aurangi Awarua settled outside of court. Yeah, all I hear. Interesting people, you know, these are people that we're all supposed to be looking up to and that are considered leaders within our Māori community and that's the way they do others. We wanted to speak to the leaders of the Māori Carbon Collective and its associated entities about what happened with Aurangi Awarua and to ask about their operation. The former directors haven't had any involvement for some years, and Donna Awatiri Huata told Mata the Māori Climate Commission is no longer associated with the Māori Carbon Group. We've also sent requests to Sir Mark Solomon, Hone Harawera and Maru Nehoneho. They've all declined. Instead, they've referred us to Managing Director, Javan Golta. Nowadays, Golta's social media pages show him travelling to exotic locations, diving and spending time with friends. Since April this year, we've made repeated attempts to meet with and interview Javan Golta, but to no avail. He's been busy on the campaign trail with his friend Shane Jones, so we attempted to catch up with him. But on the day we travelled to Kirikiri, there was no sign of Javan. And remember the Māori Carbon Trustee Limited we mentioned earlier? It's the sole shareholder of the Māori Carbon Foundation and the Māori Carbon Collective. According to company office records, the sole shareholder and director of the Māori Carbon Trustee Limited is a lawyer. When we reached out to the lawyer about this story, they explained they had no personal interest in any of these companies. They were just a beer trustee, acting on behalf of their client, whose identity they couldn't reveal. And they referred us back to Golta and the directors of MCC. So just who owns and is profiting from these Māori carbon ventures remains unanswered. And there's more to ask, because there's another Māori land entity that's gone into business with the Māori Carbon Collective. Utakura 7 Incorporation is a land trust in the far north. And it went from being a bustling, thriving little community to becoming, well, what we see Putanui Aotearoa, you know, those smaller communities that just struggle. Tamalene Painting chairs its committee of management. Utakura 7 didn't have land available to plant, but it did have carbon units, and it decided to partner up with MCC. 
According to AGM Minutes, Utakura 7 entered a contract with MCC to lease half of its 75,000 carbon units in return for a three-fold repayment over nine years. The first payment was due in February this year. The value of that payment was estimated to be around 2.8 million. But Mata understands that payment wasn't made. So we contacted the chair of Utakura 7 to inquire. This is her response. As trustees of Utakura 7 Incorporation, we uphold our fiduciary responsibilities with a commitment to strict adherence to contract terms, confidentiality and non-disclosure to external parties. I can disclose that despite the numerous challenges posed by the ETS environment, Utakura 7 and MCC have remained steadfast in prioritising a good outcome for Utakura 7, and we're comfortable with our present situation. We followed up again to confirm whether or not the payment had been honoured, but painting didn't respond. In the meantime, the Māori Carbon Collective has forged ahead. It's set up new carbon companies with new partners. Not Māori landowners, but successful businessmen. Together, they've purchased vast land blocks to convert into carbon farms, one in the South Island and the other near Tokomaru Bay on the East Coast. But not everyone is happy about it. No one that I know of, uh, apart from pine investors, thinks that planting more pines in Tairawhiti is a great idea. The Māori Carbon Trustee owns 20% of Hori Hori Station, which was purchased last year for $13 million. The 1,600 hectare sheep and beef block is in the process of being converted into a permanent exotic forest. Environmentalist and land use expert Manu Kari lives down the road. There's a lot of opposition to planting more pine, given that we've seen whole plantations collapse. The soil and the geology is not great for shallow rooting trees like pine. So not only is there a slash from uh, the forestry production blocks, but uh, whole trees just uh, falling out of the soil and um, moving their way down into waterways and, and out into the oceans. Yes, you can see here the, the floodwaters came down and uh, a lot of the the pine has uh, collected along the, the banks of the river and it's what we're really worried about with the new plantings that are going in of pine plantations that we're just going to get more of these whole forests collapse and make their way down, down the Awa. It's not just flooding that's a problem, is it? One of the other big concerns is the fire risk. Uh, we've got three years of drought forecasts for the region and for the country and we've seen what's happened in Europe and Greece and Spain and more recently Maui with wildfires and so there's just monoculture trees that are highly flammable, not a good idea in a drought. So yeah, real concerns not only around the flooding and the damage that they did to bridges and roads and farms and orchards but the risk of fire is real and we feel very underprepared in the region to deal with large-scale fires like we've seen overseas. And by all reports, it looks like we could be heading for some significant drought and the weather extremes are just going to become uh, more severe uh, moving into the future. Earlier this year, Hori Hori Station made headlines when Newsroom reported locals were concerned by the state of the whenua after it was sprayed in preparation for planting exotics. 
it was a defoliant that took off everything so it went right down to the dirt so you can imagine 1600 hectares of dirt on steep land and then we had cyclone Halle and then cyclone Gabrielle so it wasn't great timing and uh, there was a lot of erosion and it looks like there's a big slip on the block now that's you know half a kilometer long a few hundred meters wide and there's a lot of whenua that's going into the awa there. What's your advice for Māori organisations considering getting involved with carbon farming? I think Māori groups that are looking at getting into carbon farming should think very carefully about the options. I think if we're going to get anything from carbon farming, we should be focused on those indigenous species and uh, ask very hard questions of those suggesting that we can transition these pine plantations into diverse indigenous Nahere. So the process is very unproven. There's very little science on how to do that yet. And the contexts are all different, depends on the geology, on the climate and all sorts. So those that are investing early will take the money often from these carbon farms. They'll say, oh, we'll take it for the first 15 or 25 years and then you can have it after that. Those early years are when it's making its most money. And then you risk being left with uh, these old pines that aren't sequestering much carbon and are very difficult to get rid of. And that's a lot of cost and there's a liability then on the landowners where those trees have been. So just be very careful and look at the details very closely before signing up, I'd say. What's your message to the Māori Carbon Collective? I think my message to the Māori Carbon Collective would be to uh, really understand the communities that you're working in. I understand people like Mark Solomon, who I've got a lot of respect for, didn't even know where Horehorea Station is, and ones like Hone Harawera, you know, done a lot of good things, but I just can't see the value in this particular operation. And I think calling it Māori Carbon Collective um, might be a nice brand and make people feel warm and fuzzy about it, but the mana behind it, I'm not sure about yet. Over the last seven months, we've tried to find out what happened between MCC, Aurangi Awarua and Utakura 7. We also wanted to understand where these carbon ventures are heading. During that time, we made repeated requests to try and speak to Javan Golter and the directors of MCF and MCC, even sending a list of questions to try and get answers. But in the end, no one replied. For David Steadman, his dealings with MCC saw him wind up in an expensive legal battle and cost him his prized board role with Aurangi Awarua. Nowadays, he's back in the shearing sheds. I made decisions and had to live with them. And like I said, I've accepted that. I've accepted those things. You're not just the land trust, you're Whanaunga. Did it divide you? Yeah, it divided us all. That, that's what happened. But I'll tell you what, none of them, none of those organisations, my whanau and the trust and MCC, none of them will have to feel like I feel. My wife and I, my kids, we suffered heaps over that and we still are. Afina says despite what's happened, like their tūpuna Winiata Te before them, the people of Aurangi Awarua will endure. But she has a message for the Māori Carbon Collective. Ko te mahi huna, kai te kite atu. <laughs> te momo te tangata. 
unfortunately, you know. It takes a, a big person to say they, you know, they did something wrong and they're willing to make up for it. I think they could still do that. I'd, I'd like to think they could. Well, I'd like to think they would. I know they could. I'm hoping they will. What is the, le the overall lesson in this story? Kia te patoia huma, if it looks too good, it probably is too good. Kia mau ki te whenua. Money's not everything, but land is. For more Mata content, head over to onenews.co.nz forward slash Mata and TVNZ Plus.